This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Jackie. Wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Your suffering will be legendary even in hell. Get it back. It's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all blow down here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, you're doomed. Our introductory show tonight features our Grindhouse Pizzeria, which is dedicated to all things Grindhouse and exploitation. Whether it's extra cheesy or loaded with meat, you'll always get a belly full of hot, nasty goodness. Come on in, pull up a chair and grab you a slice. There has never been a more savage motion picture than raw meat. Beneath modern London, buried alive in plague-ridden tunnels, lives a tribe of once humans, the raw meat of the human race. But how could they survive so long without food? I imagine as each one died, the others ate him. They were like raw meat, a sinister evil that festered for generations in its moldering tomb. Neither men nor women even less than animals. Their strange hunger driving them to prey on the young and the strong. Raw meat, rated R, under 17, not admitted without a parent. There has never been a more savage motion picture than raw meat. I remember Angie saying, I want to watch like a cop drama type of, oh, I know what it was, it's Johnny Hanson. That's what it was, okay. Oh yeah, the... Mickey Rourke, Lance, yeah. Lance Henriksen joint. Yeah. 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 Got that on Laserdisc. Actually, yeah. I can see it from where I'm sitting. <laughs> I've got it on Blu-ray. <laughs> All right, folks, this is Cinema Degeneration. With us today, we have my good friend Timo Sabin of the Timo and Harley Show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Cameron? Uh, you know, surviving amidst yeah. all the the COVID virus uh, bullshit. Oh, yeah. But, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Congrats, and, though. You got, you got a new show going. Yeah, exactly. You found, you found a way to turn this into something productive, see? Yes, that's that's right. That was the plan all along. I predicted the end of the world that was going to happen in 2021. I d- guess I was off by about a year. Yeah, but you're just trying to prolong it to get across that, that finish line with your podcast. You're trying to slow down the spread. And right, let right, right. And let in 2021 just, just so that you can make a prediction correctly, correct? I, I am the new modern day Criswell. There you go. Very good. <laughs> if I can't if I can't predict it right, I will just make shit happen. Right, right, exactly. But no, it's it's been uh, good for me a little bit creatively, I guess, on that kind of level. I mean, every project I was working on that was going to be filming this year has closed down, including uh, my own film, Death Care. 
but it's uh, given me time to write. I've got a couple of writing projects I'm writing on for other people. I got writing projects I'm writing on for myself. We even got projects for us that I'm writing on. And I've been talking about wanting to do a podcast again since I stopped doing one back in, what, 2014, 2015. So, you know, I only think about a project for five years before I actually get it off the ground. <laughs> Typical filmmaker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Is that good five years either in pre-production or post. Right. Well, yeah, I think it's good, though, because uh, if you are a filmmaker, it's sort of like when a I'm an NFL football fan. And I think it's interesting when when one of the commentators is a is an old coach and that coach doesn't have a job right now and that coach gets to watch other games and see what other coaches do and they end up becoming a little smarter at at their own craft by just laying back and watching other people and i think commenting on films and kind of picking them apart and talking about them actually could help the process uh when you do start making films again Mm -hmm. something you might might come to your Mind like, ah, I remember in so-and-so a movie when this happened. So it's kind of good to to step back a little bit, I think. It's been fun to get to a point now where I can actually watch films, not just from uh, a filmmaker's perspective, but as a fan. And just Mm -hmm. just being a fan and being like, you know, I'm going to watch something that I like. You know, watching a good comfort film. Right. And uh, actually, I've been, and then I didn't, haven't been uh, adhering to that rule. I've been watching nothing but television. (laughs) Turn it off. Uh, I got, I got, we, we got that free CBS uh, all access channel for uh-huh. a month. So it was like, uh-huh. okay, I'm going to watch Twilight Zone. I'm going to watch Picard. Uh-huh. Now I've finished watching all that. Now it's like I can get back to the meat and potatoes and stuff that I really, really, really want to watch. There you, go. there you go. Which is why we're here today for uh, this little gem. But what have you been watching here lately, Timo, before we get into the. Uh, you know, honestly, as, as I get older, my t- and and, I, and that's just me, but I think everyone, as we get older, our tastes change a little bit. And so whereas 15, 20 years ago, I might have been watching, I don't know, let's say like Last House on the Left or something like that. Now it's more like It Came From Hell, the Killer Tree Monster movie from 57. I tend to, I, I've tended to, to sort of regress in my taste. So I'm actually enjoying older 50s, Sci-fi big bug movies, um, a lot of mystery science theater and riff tracks. Been watching a lot of that. And more entertainment and stuff that's not quite as uh, downbeat. Uh, I think life itself, especially the last, who this last year, especially obviously, has been downbeat enough. Oh yeah. And I don't really need to add to it. I don't think so. If something can make me laugh or roll my eyes. Uh, or just entertain me and not be boring, then I'm I'm very happy. But um, was I, I was just telling you off air too. Last night I watched Johnny Handsome, which is not anything to do with any of those kinds of movies, but it's certainly not a horror film or anything like that. But that was a fun movie to watch. No, no, no. That's not the happy-go-lucky type of film, though. That's a pretty despondent yeah, kind of film. You're right. It's got that great. Um, I mean, it was it had that great Ry Cooter soundtrack. It did. It did. And, and, to, and not only did your film predict the end of the world, but that film predicted Mickey Rourke's face. Because it was funny how yes. when the movie started, he's deformed. <laughs> he doesn't look very different than he does no. now. So I wasn't no, sure was no, not, not really. No. <laughs> so, yeah, and I, I'm being a little cruel by saying that, but 
I'm sorry, but yeah. He, oh, he I got mad love for, for Mickey. I got mad love for I that guy. I love him as an actor, but he, 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 his, his face has gotten a little fucked up over he's the years. He's got a face for radio, for sure. Yeah, yeah he's got a face for radio now. Good <laughs> movie, so though. Handsome. I mean, uh, so Ellen Barkin handsome. is oh, great yeah. in that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, Johnny Hanson was great. Had a great supporting cast. Morgan Freeman, Lance Hendrickson, uh, yep. Walter Hill had a great cast on that one. Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker's. Yes. So I mean, it's huh. it, it was a it, it's it's a very interesting film. It's not a great film. It's not one of Walter Hill's best. But sometimes when you get a quiet film like that, it's been kind of forgotten. It's fun to go back and watch it. Uh, I just went back and watched The Fourth War with Roy Scheider in it and Jurgen Prochnow. And nobody. I've never that seen it. I've yeah, never. No, I've actually never seen it. It's a Cold War thriller, and Roy Scheider is posted up um, at a border, up by Czechoslovakia or something like that. And he's basically a bored Cold War warrior. So he's a, uh, you know, like a Vietnam vet. And then on the other side, the the communist side is Jurgen Prochnow, and he's an Afghanistan vet from their war with Afghanistan. So they're both bored old soldiers and they start needling each other to the point where it becomes like a who's is bigger, mine or yours. And they keep going over uh, the border uh, and start like, you know, like irritating. They're, they're, they're pushing buttons. Let's put it that way. And uh, the, the really interesting co-star on that is Tim Reed, Venus Flytrap, who is oh, like yeah. one of the main, yeah. And Harry Dean Stanton play is also has a supporting oh, I love role Harry Dean. Yeah. But it's, you know, if you look around, um, like Kino, Kino Lorber's website, there's a lot of good sales going on right now during the, this pandemic. There's some that are kind of insulting, but Kino's got a great one going on. Uh, I think I bought that Blu-ray for like $8 uh, with free shipping. You know, and oh, stuff like that. so I just kind of think, uh, so I've been watching that. And then, like I said, like a lot of mystery science, a lot of 50s and backwards, you know, like even back to like the old Universal films and stuff like that. And some of the more de- depressing films, uh, try to kind of stay away from them. I've seen them. I li- it's not that, like, we just reviewed on, 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 my, on my podcast, me and Ben just reviewed The Hills Have Eyes. And both of us were very excited to review this film. And both of us gave it a bad review. And we were very upset about that. It wasn't like we were, we were trying to snark on it. It was, it was almost as if we were disappointed that we didn't enjoy it like we used to. And uh, I got it. Got it. kind of part and parcel of what's been going on, at least in my life, that there was a certain point in time in my life. I love that movie. It was a great movie. And, I, and it still is a great movie. I just don't enjoy it anymore. I've had, it's like had its, it's had its time. That's with me. me with last house on the left. Yeah. I'm, that's the same way. It's the same way. Yeah. Yeah. The same way. Yeah. And, and they're very similar movies, though. They're very, they're very rough films. Uh, you know, they don't. Yeah, they're not they lighthearted. Way. Fair. No, they're not. And some, and I'm to the point now where I'm like, being a musician for my entire life, I know a stunt when I see one, and I feel like a lot of these movies from that were pushing, pushing the envelope back in the '70s, especially, were very important films. But when you look at them now you can almost literally see the director taking his finger and pushing a button just to push it. And that bothers me. You know, you didn't need to have, in Last House on the Left, you didn't need the rape to go on that long. 
And I don't right, need right. to see that to know that rape is awful and is not good and should not be done. I don't need that. You, yeah, know, you don't need to linger on that kind of, you know, that kind no, of shit. You don't no, need that don't, at all to, to get you know, the idea across. Right. And I'm not a censor guy either. It's like, there's nothing, I don't think that they shouldn't have filmed it. It has nothing to do with that. And when I saw it, I was astounded when, you know, the first time I saw it. Um, but I would prefer to go back and watch The Virgin Spring, which Last House and Left is a remake of. So I would go back and watch Bergman's Virgin Spring because I think it's more artistic. Uh, and I think it's, it's a prettier movie, way prettier movie, too, to, to look at and stuff. And, I, you know, some of those movies are ugly. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been interesting yeah. for me in my adult life to see where I have gone because some of the movies I dismissed when I was younger, I'm pining away for now. I'm trying to find them. These old fifties movies and black and white stuff. So it's very interesting. I've been on, uh, retreading all the old universal monsters. Yeah. I got, I, I got ago. all, I got the big box set, the big, like what? 36 movie box set. Yeah, and I just started right. going yeah. through each and every one of them. Mm-hmm. There's this kind of, that was just back when there was a little more style and grace to everything. In my they were opinion, fun. they were fun movies. I mean, well, most of fun. them were beautiful films to watch. They were beautifully yes. shot. The set set pieces, you know, you can see set design now in a movie and not to sound like a curmudgeonly old man, but everything is so CGI. The the texture isn't there, you know, of a raw film set. You know, you can tell when you're looking at something that's been CGI and, and the set is just like, oh, Nobody set dressed that. Nobody polished that. Nobody painted that. And I'm right. not trying to disparage the CGI guys because they're immensely talented too. But there's something that I miss in a grand old film like that. Like, like a question like, who the hell lit all of these candles? Yes. Yes. Because <laughs> somebody had to. I'll tell you what. I would have been a grip on this film or anything. But you ain't going to pay me to light all those candles and keep yeah, them all no the same kidding. length. It ain't happening. I'm not doing it. You know, yeah. But no, I, I agree. I think that it, it, it there is a point there, there. I don't need to be educated. It's I, I get very like uh, I, I'm, I am not a hateful person. I'm not this. I don't need art to guide my moral compass. It's there. I, it's pointed. It's very pointed. And I, you know, I don't think I'm dismissing the art that I'm talking about as much as it's not for me anymore. I've been through that phase and I would prefer to watch, if you're going to do watch something rough, I would prefer to watch like an Argento film, which is surreal and rough, and, but yet still fun and entertaining because it is so over the top and so artistic with it that it's almost humorous. I agree. And, and I enjoy that and enjoy the colors of all that and the, the artistry of everything. Um, it just it's just more entertaining. But the ones that more. are just kind of bleak when they're just bleak for bleak's sake. There's a time and a place for that. And I, and again, you know, I mean, I love uh, horror films of all ilk. Sure. But there's like you said, there's a certain point. There was a movie I watched the other day, uh, another newer movie that just came to mind called The Platform, uh-huh. uh, that was on Netflix. Probably one of the top five most bleak, depressing films I've ever watched in my life. Well, maybe t- not top five, maybe top ten, but I, like it was just so so vile that it's like okay, I, I I appreciated that I watched it. It was a good film, but I don't never need to own it. 
Did you did you see the director putting his finger on a button to push? No. You see what I'm saying? Like like did you did you like yeah. not not I mean figuratively? Did you did you figuratively go? This guy is just pushing buttons just to push buttons in this movie. Are you trying to push the envelope? No, I don't push I, it. Are you just got tired of the? You literally just got tired because here's the thing. To me, I I don't enjoy. This has been a real issue with with our podcast as well too. Is that I don't enjoy new films. Period. Like I just don't like. I don't them. enjoy I don't, a lot of them. I don't like the way. I don't like the techniques. I don't like the equipment they use. I don't like the lighting. I don't like the editing. I don't like the, the cinematography. And what I really <laughs> fucking hate, can I say that? Sorry, I didn't know. Oh, if you I can could. say whatever you want here. Yeah. So what I really hate is the fact that everything is so mundane because they're trying to make everything so lifelike and realistic. Who cares? I don't want to see somebody paying their bills. I don't want to hear people talk about their problems with their parents in a, in, or, or their loved one in a, in a horror film. There's movies like Kramer versus Kramer and things if you want to see drama between people. <laughs> but I want escapism. There's a great, I'm trying to think of what movie, it, the, what, what Blu-ray it is. I think it's Anthropophagus. I think it's the Blu-ray for Anthropophagus. They have George Eastman, who anyone who knows anything about Italian cinema knows George Eastman, who played the- Oh, you got to know the, who Big George is. Yes. And, and they were asking him about movies and stuff. And I actually videoed this on my phone and I, and I texted it to Ben Harley because I was trying to articulate how I felt about stuff. And he said that, that they, in Italy, they offered him, uh, recently they had offered him a very, very good part in a film that I think was being made for television with a lot of money involved and everything. And he said, oh, wow, that sounds great. He says, what's the part? And they said, you play the father of a girl who's having a heroin problem. And he said, whoa, 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 whoa. And I'm quoting, he said, fuck that. And he said, he goes, <laughs> the problems that people, uh, the problems that people deal with in everyday life do not interest me to put those on the screen. They can go home and they can do that. Where is the escapism? Where's the journey? Where is the wonder? Where is the imagination? It takes no imagination to see someone strung on heroin. It doesn't. You're just you're just you're just putting your finger in a in a wound. You're pouring salt on stuff. Right. You know, I think people need to be entertained and they need escapism. So a lot of like what you're talking about, the universal monster films. You I dare you to tell me what country those things are taking place in. <laughs> you know? Yeah, because I the mean, country don't ex most of them no, don't exist. No, it's West it's West Russia, Germany, Bavaria. You, know, you have Bavarian, no idea where yeah. the hell, where the hell, any of this is going on. It's European, yeah, exactly. somewhere around in those areas. Yeah, it's somewhere yeah, it's that's not not in America. That's where like um, most of those films took place. European, right. not in America. Right. And you just wish the actors would pick an accent. <laughs> pick an accent, man. Where are you from? You know? They can't so, pick an accent for one single movie, let alone for a, an entire series. When they keep popping back up, right? Right. So. You know, those to me, they, they, they take you on a journey and they let you, they give you a break from your life. When you were a kid and went and saw, oh, I don't know, Christopher Reeve's Superman. You know, I mean, it's not the greatest movie ever made, but I'm just saying it didn't, it didn't harp on politics a lot. It didn't harp on this. Didn't harp nah, on but for an hour and 45 minutes, you know, you, you, you were <clears throat> transformed in a way. Right. And I think on some level, like, things have melted together a little bit too much. 
entertainment where like I, I, I you know, it's almost like when you watch a movie now, how, how often do you say, oh, God, I can get this on the news. Oh, God, I, I can just get this by walking <laughs> outside. Oh, geez, I can get that. Well, I, I'm just not interested in that. I'm just not, you know, and right. so it's got to take is, you someplace else. It's got to be a journey, like you said. Right. And it seems like filmmakers today, and it's okay, and they're young, and I get it, and this is part of what I'm saying, that I'm older. They're trying to say something. They're making a point. That point has been made with me when I was a kid. And I don't yep. need it. I don't need it anymore. So, therefore, I just get really turned off by a lot of newer films. There's got to be, I, I, I don't mean there's gotta be something yeah. fantastic involved if, if I want to see it. There's got to be something that's at least one step off kilter. It can't be a, a Hallmark Channel movie of the month. Right. Otherwise, I'll, otherwise I'll watch just about anything. Right. Well, and I don't want I don't want needless torture or politics in my films. It's okay, gore. Uh, unless it's fine. needless yeah. torture or politicians. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. But then again, there you go. There's your fantastical part. <laughs> right. Now, now I'm gonna also say this for like the for like the people that are like, oh, what a curmudgeonly old guy. I think it's great though. The people today have streaming services like Amazon Prime and Netflix, so that they can they can absorb a lot of this content. And there and there's a there's a platform for filmmakers, young filmmakers, to put their art out there. Just because I don't enjoy it and don't feel like I need it, doesn't mean it's that should go for everyone. It really doesn't. And I know that, you know, and I know that it's that I just don't like where movies went. But then again, I look at people that are friends of mine that are maybe 20 years older than me. And and they tell me they can't stand John Carpenter as a thing because Howard Hawks, Christian Knightley's version was so superior. And I just look at him like, I love both versions. <laughs> yeah. You know, and for different and, reasons. I love both right. versions. Right, but because they're 20 years older than me, they see that movie like I see a lot of modern films. It's, it's unnecessary. You know, it just so, yeah. goes to prove that we're old farts to somebody, and at the same time, we're just, you know, young whippersnappers to somebody else, I guess. And Are you saying we're middle-aged? <laughs> yeah, I might be saying that. I yeah, might be saying that. <laughs> yes, sir. I guess yeah. that's what I'm trying to say. Right. When I'm sitting here looking, I'm looking at, at myself with me with a cat by my feet, a mug of warm coffee, and a, and a bathrobe on, and I'm just like, <laughs> This this was not me a few years ago. Right. How did I evolve into this? <laughs> right. Well, and that, so that's where I'm kind of at. And and I'm as far as me movie wise too. I've I've become more of a collector even uh, that I have a Blu-ray library that I'm, I'm I call it a library. I, I curate. I, I work on it for like an hour hour at least a day, and I go through stuff and I see what I have and what I don't have. And I I am uh, I have this. In my imagination, I am collecting a library to leave to someone, to leave for future people, because physical media is going away, and the more it goes away, the more I buy it, and the more that I want to have. Uh, same here. I'm, I'm addicted to physical media. While I collect VHS and Laserdisc, I obviously collect you know DVD and Blu-ray. I have an expansive collection, and then I think Patty's probably at this point going to put a kibosh on me ever wanting to collect Betamax or CEDs. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, well, if I have to explain it, then, then it, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I got one for sale on eBay right now, buddy. <laughs> uh, no kidding. That's the only yet. format I've never owned anything of. I've <laughs> owned eight tracks for players. crying out loud. I've got two or three players, actually, 
sitting in the other room that I'm going to put up on eBay to sell. Yeah, so I do have some HDTV. You know, it's funny because I do sell movies on eBay. And I have, one of the first movies I sold was an HD DVD. Believe it or not, really? it was Black Christmas. I, I, had a, I had an HD DVD of the remake of Black Christmas. And yeah, it was one of the first ones I sold. I think the other one I have is, uh, I, I don't even remember which one it is. I can't remember. I only I had one HD now. DVD because somebody bought it for me thinking it was a Blu-ray. Right. And it was a face-off. Oh, okay. It's the only one that I ever owned. Yeah. Well, my thing is that I am, I'm pretty much strictly Blu-ray because I'm not a, I'm not a nostalgia guy when it comes to formats at all. And it's hard for me to even understand that, but I do get it. Although I don't understand it, I get it because I'm a collector. So I understand collecting. My thing is the Blu-ray thing to me is such a good visual format. It's so close to seeing something as clearly as you could on film if the projectionist had the focus right and everything. You know, yeah, so if you had a projectionist that. that cared. Right. So what I'm looking at is <clears throat> I'm a fan of even like the silent films and stuff. And we've lost a lot of them. And the way we find some of these films that are being re-released on Blu-ray now, and the way we're going to find movies like, like Terror After Midnight, you know, or, or I'm sorry, London After Midnight, how we're going to find right, some right. I know what you meant. movies. Yeah. So how we're going to find some is going to be a private collector. And I want to be one of those private collectors who someday someone I'm long gone and some, and somebody goes, we found a private collection and we found Rodan on Blu-ray. So now we can we can take the Blu-ray of Rodan and we can convert it into hologram or whatever people are watching 50 years from now. Right, yeah, exactly. It could be 120 years from now and they're like, listen, we're gonna we have this old HD DVD. Right. A face off. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it was found in a storage shelter somewhere somehow. Right. Somebody was and, using it for a coaster, but right. So it's similar to what you're doing on VHS. I just want the I want the best copy I can get. I want the best. I just collect it all. Uh, I understand. No, I totally I, understand. Because to me, collecting a VHS, I mean, and it's not like this for everybody else. It reminds me of collecting a poster. You don't really get much out of it. You're not getting the movie out of it necessarily, but you've got a piece of it, and you mm -hmm. have a piece of that movie's history. So I, if you have I a VHS also collect of, posters. Of, <laughs> right. A half well, of my room have, is taken up with boxes of posters that I would never ever have enough room or wall room to hang all of them. Right. Right. So it, so I I do I do understand what I, I I don't I just don't want to get into an argument with people when they say VHS is superior. I'm like no 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 that's your nostalgia. Oh no. <laughs> I Isn't couldn't me? wait oh, for VHS ever. to go away you know because it was hissy and blurry so I couldn't wait for it to go away and and so. I don't have I, and I the worst thing about me is I got I threw away most of my VHSs. Well, I think we've all learned our lesson on that when it comes to physical media. So and, but that's that's yeah, exactly. Like, it's all it's, worth something to somebody. Right. So that's been a huge thing with me. And I know uh, when you were talking to me about even doing <coughs> this podcast with you, you know, you were, you were talking about different movies and I had all of them on Blu-ray already. The ones you were talking about. So it was very easy for me. And I like that. I like to be sitting on my futon. And say, hmm, I would like to watch Jaws 2. And stand up and turn around and go back to my collection and grab Jaws 2. And throw it in well, a Well, the wonderful thing about it. having it on physical media, you never have to worry about it when it's been dropped from your 
favorite uh, streaming service. Yes, if absolutely. it's no longer on Netflix or no no longer available to rent or buy on Vudu or whatever, mm-hmm. you don't have that problem. You know, you don't have the problem of oh, like I don't have you know I don't have right. that one. When will it be available again? No, it's always available because it's on shelf number three. Right, and the other thing too, that I think people need to also understand this and realize this is that. Just because you think you own a stream of a film, you don't own it at all. You own the rights to stream that movie anytime you want, as long as the owner of the copyright allows you to do so. Uh-huh. So, so, so if you, let's say you wanted to buy Nightmare on Elm Street, but you didn't want to spend $20 on a Blu-ray, but you found an HD stream on Amazon that you could purchase, not rent, purchase for $10, you think, oh, great. And, and in fairness, like I, where I live, we live in a rural area. I don't have great internet. So this kind of helps me stay away from that anyway. But you could purchase that on Amazon for $9.99. Now, as long as Amazon's around and long as, as long as Nightmare on Elm Street's on their servers and stuff, you can watch it whenever you want, whether or not it's up on Prime. Well, what happens when Amazon goes away? Uh, yep. <laughs> you can't burn those, download those discs. They won't let you. You can download them to your device as long as you can fit things on your device, but you can't burn them onto a disc for yourself. So you don't own it. You own the right to stream it. Yeah. As long just as they to say stream it through stream it. Amazon Prime. Right. Uh, that's where you bought it from. If you bought it from them, let's just say you, you bought, like you said, Nightmare on Elm Street through Amazon Prime. As long as they're around, you got it. I mean, the moment right. they're down or their service goes down, you just, even if it's down for, oh, a day or, a year or permanently. I mean, it's right. just, you, you don't, there's no way to, to, to physically lay right. your hands on it. In, 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 in our, in our market in the way that we run the world and stuff, if you don't have your hands and you think you own it, <laughs> try that. <laughs> yeah. No, you don't. It goes back you to that whole possession is nine tenths of the law. Yes. And so, and so what I, the most of the stuff that I buy, and I do buy streams of things, and some of those things uh, mostly are because maybe I have a DVD of something, it's not available on Blu ray. Maybe I have a DVD of something, and I don't really want to. I just, it's a good DVD, it's good enough for me. I don't feel like I need to buy it on Blu ray. There are some movies like that, and so I'll find them for five bucks as an HD stream. So I will be able to watch okay. the film in yeah. HD if I want to, and I own it for as long as I want, but I still have a DVD. So if they take my HD stream away, well, at least I can see it. At least I have it on DVD, and I didn't want to buy it. I didn't want to spend all the money on the Blu-ray. For far as free, you know, stream, not free, but streaming uh, movies, I think I have between 90 and 100. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. DVDs, Blu-rays, all together in my collection, I probably have about 13, 1,400. Then mm-hmm. I'd, 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 you know what I mean? And, but then other physical media, I have a couple hundred uh, VHS. I have probably six, seven hundred laser discs. So, I mean, I have essentially s- several thousand movies, but mm-hmm. maybe a hundred of them are, are streaming or dig- digitally bought. Well, and a lot of those came from new DVDs or, or new Blu rays that I bought that came with, you know, the free voodoo and whatnot. Oh, sure. And I do that too. I mean, it's, it's good to cover your bases. You know, I mean, like, so if they're offering you, like, to have, some, like, a, a stream or a digital copy of something, yeah, take it. Oh, Why not? yeah. You know, and, and I do, I do, I do the same thing. I have about, <sighs> the last time I counted my Blu-rays, I was about 8,000. You got so me well beat, sir. Well, it's, pro- and it's probably a couple hundred 
past that since I counted last. But but the thing is, I'm very obsessive about it, and I found ninja-like skills to get them to get the movies either cheap or very cheap, you know, or very affordably. Put it that way, you know, I will I will right. I will wring my hands over five dollars. Like nobody's business. I, I am the same way. Like mm-hmm. I, I will wring my hands over a five dollar DVD at the same way I would over a thirty or thirty five dollar DVD. Right. Well, and, and yeah. again, you have to understand that I'm doing this. A lot of people buy what they love. I don't do that. I buy what I think belongs in my collection. I have movies I'm never going to yep. watch. And so, I mean, I'm trying to. I mean, I'm looking through right now. There's. I have Punk Vacation on Blu-ray. Never heard of it? Well, that's why I got it. Because nope. <laughs> if somebody <laughs> says, you ever heard of Punk Vacation? I go, yeah, I got it, I got it on Blu-ray. You know, uh, I'm trying to, I got The Postman Always Rings Twice, both versions, Blu-ray. Porky's, Blu-ray. Uh, Poor Pretty Eddie, Blu-ray. Pontypool, all three pools are guys. I'm going down Ah, uh, Pontypool. Love Yeah. All the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Got all the- saving, uh, saving a show to do one on Pontypool. It's a great movie. It's a very interesting movie. It's You know what? That I... Modern film, and I consider anything past 2000 to be modern to me. Like that, it seemed like the cutoff when I when I just completely gave up on movies was somewhere in the 90s. I just gave up, and and it's been that long. And so there have been bright spots, and Pontypool is a giant bright spot. I think uh, Behind the Mask was a bright spot. Uh, I think that uh, um, I'd have to on. agree on that. I love I love that movie. Yeah, I do too. I mean, that's what I'm saying. These are bright spots. I think that, like I said, Troll Hunter, bright spot. Um, uh, Bill, or not Bill and Ted, uh, uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil, bright spot. Very bright spot. Uh, And to me, it's a bunch of crap coming out. But then you get these movies like uh, Rare Exports of Christmas Tale that are so inventive. So ingenious to me. That I I, I love very rare, rare exports. I thought that was very good. It is, yeah, and, and that's what I'm saying. All these these films are coming out, but then I get a, these movies that are like Oscar nominated or Oscar winning, like Shape of Water and Arrival, which I watched and wanted to kick Baby Seals after I watched them because I hated <laughs> them. I hated them. Like first of all, like the Shape of Water to me was was nothing more than Amphibian Man, which was a Russian film. And I know everybody talked about the Creature from the Black Lagoon, but if anybody can, I think it's on Amazon Prime. Go on there and check out Amphibian Man. It's a Russian film. It was the highest grossing Russian film for like a 30-year span. It's the same story. Huh. And, and, and I've actually never seen because, either one. Well, it irritated me because Guillermo del Toro came out. Uh, he is an auteur. He is making this film. It is all his. It's different. It's the same damn thing. But he didn't say, he didn't give it any credit. And my problem was, if, if I've seen it, I'm sure he's seen it. Yeah, exactly. You know, he knows a little bit about movies. I think if I've seen it, he's seen it, too. And then, like, Arrival, it, it I hardly even remember this, the spaceship movie when it came out. I was just like, how do you make a space, and how do you make an alien invasion boring? Well, just check it. <laughs> That's how you do it? <laughs> yeah, just go check that one if you want. And you know why? Because every, it makes the movies become self-important and no longer are self-aware. And, and to me, that's what's happened. To they become so self-important because everybody thinks that they, they want a voice to voice their, quote, opinions about things. 
I yes. want to be entertained. Why, why can't we just have a movie for the sake of entertainment and not have yes. the necessary... A movie with a message is fine, but not every movie has to have a message. You're exact. You hit it. Right Speaking away. of movie messages, what do you think? Well, we might as well get into our film. Not the sure. actual uh, the film we, we gathered sure. here to actually watch, uh, which is Raw Meat, 1972, yes. a.k.a. Line. Yes. Uh, directed by one Gary Sherman, who actually was also the guy who brought a, a, another film that directed another film that I totally like was a staple of my 80s upbringing, Vice Squad, mm-hmm. creating, helping create one of the most like vile characters ever with the character of Ramrod. Right. I, I think they're probably the most like despicable pimp character that's ever been yeah. uh, depicted at all. Yeah. But um, let's see here. We'll give a little well, bit you know, of everybody from. From Jonathan Demme to Alan Ladd Jr. was involved in, in Deathline Raw Meat. Whatever they would want you to call it Deathline. I know it as Raw Meat. And the and I, I've I've seen Alan Ladd and all of them go. Ah, ah, ah. It's not what they wanted to call it. You know. Well, you know like, both t- titles work. I know like overseas and pretty much everywhere else is no, nor, no, known as mm-hmm. Deathline, which yeah I didn't find out about until I was listening to a commentary track. Many, many years later. Yeah. I was just like, huh, interesting. I think actually both of them would have worked with raw meat, you know, and some of the, the poster art and the cover art that you see on it. It kind of has you thinking that you're seeing a, a zombie film. A little is, bit. A little yeah. bit. It's a little yeah. bit misleading, but mm-hmm. it's it's not. I mean, it's let's face it, it you know, we're, we're reviewing a almost 50-year-old movie, which was uh, made in 72 Released uh, overseas in '72 uh, in USA in '73, but it's a, essentially it's a it's a cannibal film. You yeah. know, I'll, the, yeah. I'll give the quick uh, IMD IMDb synopsis, which reads as when a government official disappears in the London tunnels after several reports of missing people in the same location, Scotland Yard start to take the matter more seriously, along with a couple who stumble upon a victim by accident. Nice little short synopsis. Doesn't yeah. really give you, you know, doesn't give too much away. But right. you know, we're going to be talking about it, and there's going to be spoilers. So, and as I say, unless the movie has been made in about 2018 or 19, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give spoilers. If it's been out for longer than two years, I'm, I'm giving spoilers. That's what me and Harley always say. You've had time to see the movie. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Especially, you know, when the movie was made, uh, you know, uh, a couple of years before I was even born, then my de- my age demographic, if you haven't seen it by now, you're never going to see it. Yeah. You know, at the end of at, at the end of Wrath of Khan, Spock dies. <gasps> Oops, oops, oops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Bruce so, Willis was a ghost the whole time in the uh, yeah, Sixth Sense. Right. Which I didn't know Poor was bastards, a twist. You know that. When I saw that goddamn <laughs> movie, I didn't even know that was a twist. I'm like, oh, I, I thought the twist was the kid was a ghost, too. And then when they said the, the, that he was a ghost, I'm like, oh, damn it, I knew that the whole time. I was like all upset. But anyway, yes. Oh, we'll, I, we'll I knew be, it from pretty much the opening when he got shot. Anyone who studies film and, and scripts and writing and knows to look for things in films can usually figure these twisty movies out pretty easily because if it's there, there's a reason for it. If it's in the film, yeah, there, exactly. If it was, it was it. put on camera for a reason, right? Or right. the sound was put there for a reason, or whatever. They're looking in a certain something... direction for a reason. I mean, everything is for a reason. Every, I mean, because it's it's they don't have time not to. But with raw, right? Raw. The thing with raw meat. Raw meat, that, though. It, oh, go ahead. Well, I came to the, I think I saw this movie the first time when I was maybe like, I don't know, 20, 
are so, and I can't remember, I think it might have been on Cinemax or something like that. And it was called Raw Meat. Never heard the Deathline either. I, I've never heard, the only, the first time I heard Deathline was when it was released on Blu-ray as Deathline. I had never heard that title ever. So to me, what, it, it, it is bleak. And we were just talking about how like bleak films are not real fun. It, it, it's dark. So, but I, again, I watched it when I was like 20. I was very open to a darker kind of story and something that was a little more bleak at that time. Yeah, I mean, once it gets rolling and you get into the, no no pun intended, the meat of the story, you know, a good 20, 25 minutes into it when it really gets rolling and you get to see more of your antagonist and whatnot, it gets very fucking bleak. Well, it starts off with you just a very normal British type of, like, you know, slightly psychedelic like you can tell what it's wearing its ear well you know you can tell it's it's a 42nd street kind of area a red light district kind of yes it's wearing it is wearing its its ear and its sleeve a little bit and you start getting this and then you you get into this and the music the music sells it as this totally 70s pornos porno style jazz right but then they get to that like seven minute dolly shot but the, but that, I think that might be long, if not the longest, one of the longest dolly shots, like uncut in history. It, it I don't know if you notice it or not, but as soon as they mention somebody down, like in the in the tube down down in the underground, it just cuts to that drip sound. Remember the dripping sound in the film, and they show all the bodies down there. They show the man and his wife. They show everything he's living in watch it closely there is not one cut in that alan ladd jr about threw a fit did not want to do that because you're asking for problems that's all you're asking for i mean one of the first things on that dolly tracking shot is a rat now how do you keep a rat in place you know so it's 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 incredible to me it's 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 a filmmaking uh fan not as a filmmaker, as a filmmaker fan, it's incredible to me. And it totally, on a dime, changes the whole tone, the whole feel of the film. But what's cool about it, to me, is that it keeps getting more dark and more depressing and gets kind of icky. But then you get Donald Pleasance. He is so good as Inspector Calhoun. Yes. The, the whole thing, you know, when he's uh, hollering for his uh, secretary, Marshall! Yes. You know, and, and going on and on about tea is the yeah. tea because the teas he wants to fire everybody because they're making tea out of tea bags. Like right. it's just disgusting to him. It'd be like if you hand if he was a coffee guy, you handed him instant. You right. know, you could well, but, but he's he's all three stooges rolled into one. He is. And I think he being such a veteran actor, I think he looked at this script and said, This is really, really I mean, think about somebody reading this. Let's say in 71, they probably read it, you know, like going, holy cow, man, all this stuff. I mean, we hadn't had a lot of cinema yet. So this was a very rough film, you know, for back then. And I'm sure Donald Pleasance looked at this and said, there's no joy in this at all. (laughs) There's no joy at all. And then just take the words he's saying. If he would listen to the words he's actually saying, they're not very interesting. But he is making the character just by his performance. Like he says, you know, get a haircut, you know, just like stupid stuff like that that he throws in. So he interjects that life and fun into the movie that 
wouldn't I don't think I would it wouldn't have ruined it for me when I saw it the first time but being 47 years old now it would ruin it because there would be no fun and no pleasure in the film anymore and in Raw Meat, you have Donald Pleasance, who is, 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 he's almost the thing in the movie, it's self-aware. It's self-aware. He's reminding you this is a movie. And that is a, that's a comforting thought, I think. And for people that, you know, like said that he was so typecast as Loomis, which maybe ha- happened later on in his career, but this showed that he could be anything but Loomis. He was just so curmudgeon but lovable at the same time, you admired like I admired the character's persistence. I mean, mm-hmm. there's uh, a certain point which we'll talk about in a little bit where he kind of goes against all orders to step away from the mm-hmm. investigation. And let's like talk about this. I mean, the movie op- quickly opens up. This guy that's leaving the seedy, you know, kind of red light district quickly, you know, like uh, uh, kind of accosts a young lady in the subway. And gets what's coming to him and, and literally bam right into it like that. You're with your main characters. You got Alex and Patricia, a young couple that, you know, happen upon this guy's body on the, the stairs in this in the subway. And let's just face it, Alex is an asshole. Yeah. He, he's not a uh he's not a good guy. He's just like, oh, let's leave him there. We step over the people like this in New York. It doesn't he's an American, she's British, this all takes place in London, you know. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't paint a very good picture of what us Americans are like. Yeah, we just step over people like this in New York, which is unfortunately probably true. They and they go back, and of course, oops, body's gone. And let's mm-hmm. completely face it: if the victim wasn't somebody important, nobody would have cared. It would have just been filed away. Now, I do believe like Pleasant's pro- character, the inspector, would have done something about it. But there was already people that had gone missing, and they hadn't really done anything about it. I kind of yeah. think, you know, as, as determined as he is, once they find out, you know, he's uh, uh, a ma- he's a, somebody important. I forgot what he was. He wasn't an MI5 guy, but he was, you know, member of parliament or something like that. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But if he, again, if he wasn't somebody important, they wouldn't have been looking for the, this perpetrator so hard. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then it comes into you get one really good scene of exposition, mm-hmm. you know, where you find out. You know, a little bit is that in 1892, the tunnel collapsed, trapped. I don't know how many workers it was supposed to be. I think it was like eight or nine. And they were just abandoned because they were just like, well, nobody thought they were alive. But other people are like, yeah, there's air pockets. These people might still be alive. And they're like, oh, it's too expensive. We'll just leave them buried and abandoned everything, which gives us the story as we have it in present day is they're eating people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, and there's a good reason because when you don't have anything else left to eat, you know, it's kind of like the Donner Party. I mean, what are you going to do? Right. These people are, are do- down there with very limited su- supplies and they just have nothing to do but eat and mate. So then generations mm-hmm. of these people are in this, you know, supposedly closed off s- section of the uh, of the tunnels or is the tubes, I think mm-hmm. they kept referring to. Them. Right. But then but it just, they call you know, right. Yeah, they call it that Right, right, right. I've written it, Which, so I know. I mean, it. They, I felt I, like I learned something there. <laughs> well, the thing is that it's. Let's be honest. It's it's believable. You know, I mean, so that's that somebody I mean, in the corporate system would have been like, okay, it's it's going to be too much money to dig these people out. We'll just leave them there. That part, at real. least, that part is really believable. Yeah, it's real. I mean, that is real. That's not that's not made up. I mean, that stuff is real. And so what's 
what's the fantasy or the 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 story of it is that people survived that long but to but to think that i mean if you look at any modern cave-in or any kind of you know mine accident or even people lost at sea and stuff it's amazing what people would do to survive and how long they can survive you know what it reminds me of a little bit is descent the cave movie yes yeah very where much you so. have where when they when the women go in that movie or when the movie when they go in the cave one of my favorite parts is when they find the antique climbing gear that's what sets the movie off to me like, wait a minute, somebody else has been here? I didn't expect that. Right. You know, and, and, and not it's almost like that. There to be it. monsters or something. I didn't expect there to be climbing gear down there, like from a long time. Those were, that was very cool. Right. And so I, it's creepy. You know, I mean, the whole thing is creepy because it is. It's a very plausible idea. Yes. It's absolutely. very plausible. Like, okay, this could. It could happen, you know. I mean, likely no, but like that they would survive that long, that they would survive, you know, what would it was filmed in 71, 72, let's say it would be 75, 80 years. Yeah, but it is plausible that they could have survived a few years down there, you know, yeah. I mean, on what supplies that they had. Well, they but, had water, they had, there was rats meat. Yeah, and then when there wasn't rats, there was the other people. That's true too. What, the only thing that I found interesting was that there were a lot of corpses down there, but they didn't. They alluded to cannibalism, but they didn't. They didn't show any of the corpses. Like you wouldn't have corpses; they'd be skeletal. You, you would have eaten them all. I, I, there was this little interesting little side note that I noticed. That I was like, "Well, I think a lot mean? of them died from disease because it That's was true. brought out, you know, later on once there was a couple more killings." is that the our main antagonist, which is just the man, he's only mm-hmm. ever called anything else besides the man, is diseased with a sort of plague. And it's, I mean, obvious when you look at him, he's scarred, he's got lesions, he's got sores. They're, I mean, they're not healthy people. And when we get to these people, there's only two of them left. Mm-hmm. And, and it's almost like a sad but beautiful like symbolism of when he offers her. Right. And he's just like, okay, I'm going to take him as an offering, slit his throat, and like, here you go. This will make you better. And like they, they've been down there and just have degenerated so much that, that, that that's just all he can think of to do. And he's like, ah, I'll find somebody. I'll slit their throat, and the blood will make them okay. And it's like it's very sad right. to watch. It's a character – it's not a killer like a Freddy or a Jason, which I'm not knocking those characters, but it, it, it's not somebody who has this clear motive. Like I'm avenging a death. I'm avenging being burned alive. I'm avenging being drowned. No, this was just somebody who was tr- trying to stay alive. Right. And the only way they knew how, which was to find other people and eat them, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's sadly, sadly beautiful in a way you know like right. in, in a very bleak but beautiful way because like in that that one long shot we're talking about when it goes from all the the drippiness to the rat and then you see a partially eaten on arm and then the water drips and then there's a heartbeat and then there's pans past that face of the missing dead man and then there's bodies and more bodies and hanging organs and everything and just every bit of it is, is such a beautifully crafted film Mm-hmm. And way they do some of these dolly shots because there's there's several of them. This is probably the 
and I, and I know it's something that's not totally supposed to be funny. It's not meant to be humorous whatsoever, but I want to laugh because I keep saying, seeing to myself that this is something like an evening with the cannibal cranks, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah. like here we are like, this is just what we do. I'm like, do, 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 do. Hey honey, came home from dinner. Like Al Bundy, just coming home to the peg. You're like, Hey, you know, fat lady came into the shoe store today. Hey honey, I got another meal. Right, right, right. Well, it, it, you know, honestly, I think that that guy cares about his lady more than David Ladd cares about his girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. But he does. I mean, without, I mean, without I have, a doubt. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that that's the interesting part of this movie, too. And, and it is a little... I just talked about I didn't like politics in my movies. This is very sociopolitical on every level, but it's so old that it's it's sort of more of a basic type of thing. You know, and they're clearly like cutting on Americans and British people, by the way. They're cutting on both they're cutting on both well, yeah. both societies a little bit, you know, in a way. And that's fine too. But I think the interesting it's an interesting dichotomy. It's like, well the guy that the guy that's actually killing everybody is the one that is actually doing it out of passion almost. He's doing it but then at the end of it he's more doing it for, for survival. So you get a little bit of pathos from him as well. Right, right. Which is interesting, you know, too to do that. But I think that when he starts going nuts, though, it's 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 pretty cool. And the other thing too is that he's not like an unstoppable monster. You know, I think one guy almost takes him out with a broom, with a push broom. Yeah, you know no I know. Should he so beats him half to death with a broom? Right, right. And so they're very human on one on one level. I, the one thing that I think lost for me on the movie, and I think it's just because it's British, is that I don't the investigation isn't as compelling as I want it to be. Like, I want there to be more emphasis on discovering who these people are and what happened to them. So, although they explain it, pretty obvious what happened. There was a case. But it's all kind of done in one scene. It is all done in one scene, but I I wish that, because, I mean, Donald Pleasant spends a lot of the movie going around asking for tea and stuff, but I wish they would have, like, they, they, they talked about the blood types. When the two workers got killed, they said, well, there was a fourth guy, too. And, and he's like, well, a fourth guy? What do you mean? They said, well, yeah, he has some kind of anemia or something or some kind of disease. He got right, right. Down there and stuff like that. So like, the thing is, is explore that more. And maybe because it was British, some of the dialogue was going over my head. Because some of it is, some of the British films, they do tend to start speaking a little quickly. And you miss a word or two. Or you miss their intent from a different society. Because I think that you don't. What would you do if you were that guy? If you were the man, you know, down in the, down in the the tube. I mean, you do the same thing, probably. I mean, I, I hate to say that, but I'm just saying, like, if you were, if it if was the was only what, thing you'd ever known, if that's the only thing you'd ever known, that's what you'd do. My other thing about this movie is that's kind of like troublesome to me, just on a storyline kind of way. It's like, well, if you could get out, why didn't you get out? Yeah, well, if he could get out, why didn't he just stay out? Right. Why? Yes, they could get out to do things. So. I did. That was not well, I, clear to me. It wasn't clear to me. Like I understand that it probably took him a long time to find a way out. This and that. Okay, fine. But those were the kind of things that I didn't feel like were. I, I think that could have been something that would have that would have been easily explored. Like if they just could have had something as easily as a new train or or something new made something shift, and there was you know a movement in the where the original uh, collapse had happened and allowed them to get out. You know, mm-hmm. it could have been something that could have easily been fixed by that. But I think what they were doing, they were concentrating so much on 
that flip flop character with the inspector as being somewhat of the I don't want to straight out say comic relief, but he at least lightened the mood. Right. You know, you got right. this guy who's leading the investigation and you know, he invest he gets to the heart of the matter. He finds the you know the the problem. But it's right. just like there's a whole lot, there's that long scene where they're in the club getting drunk. It's like, mm-hmm. oh no, you got murders to solve. Why do you get like worried about getting shit faced, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was kind of a throwaway kind of scene. Okay. I thought too. I I thought that time could have been taken. There there are some pacing issues. As much yeah, as I like that, the film, there is a bit of yeah. some pacing issues. Well, I was gonna I was gonna mention too the Donald Pleasance thing about the, the the Loomis. That's an American thing that we think of him as Loomis because the only reason Christopher Lee even made an appearance in this movie was to act with Donald Pleasance. He that was, was the next actor, thing I was going to bring up was, was Christopher an Lee. Actor's actor. Uh, in in England, I mean that he was he was uh, I won't call him Olivier, but he was somebody that if he was in the movie, people would want to work with him. So we see him in a different way than than, than the Brits did, you know, basically too. So I thought his character he played really quirky guys, you know, like uh, what was a uh, what was the Australian movie he was in? It was cr- Wake and Fright. Wake and, I yeah, I was just going to say Wake of Fright. Yeah, I mean... Such a weird little, little movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah all about... But, uh, and and while talk. we're talking about the elephant in the room, what the fuck is Christopher Lee doing this? I, I mean, I know what he's doing this because I did my research and I knew, like like you've already mentioned, he wanted to work with Donald Pleasant, so he was just like, mm-hmm. yeah, give me a part. But like when he pops up in the middle of the movie, just in his one scene... He literally sh- should have just held the sign like, hello, I'm here to steal the entire fucking film from you and just wait. I'll be gone in five minutes and you can have your fucking movie back. That's yeah. that, that, that's and, you know, I, I don't begrudge him for that, because let's face it. I mean, Christopher Lee is the is the man and he mm-hmm. can come in and steal anybody's movie. But it, it was just so weird. You know, this guy, M.I. five. Shows up and just says, yeah, stop your investigation. You know, it's done. It was over before it started. And I love the little give and take between him and Pleasance's character. Yeah, yeah. Like, like they're doing shock. everything but making they're doing everything but making fun of each other's mamas. Right. Well, and it's in a very proper British way, which is even more. Fun. Oh, yes. But, but, but uh, it's it better. <laughs> yeah, it's shot so eccentrically, like straight on. And they keep zooming in every time they edit they get closer and closer to the face. So it's, you know, to me, that's just an awkward 1971-72 moment. There, You know what? It, it's almost like you had a horror movie and a, an episode of The Avengers popped in to say hello. And that's what that moment reminded me of, The Avengers. Like, all Yeah, it's like, this, this is our big cameo. Yeah, you're watching this creepy movie, and all of a sudden, uh, John Steed comes in, and he's being played by... He's being played by Christopher Lee, but he's just going to come in for a minute, insult you for a second, tell you to knock it off and leave. It reminds I, me of like the, I call it, it is that scene in Glen Gary, Glenn Ross, where Alec Baldwin shows up just to curse out of, out of everybody, cut them down to size, and then like, mm-hmm. I'm out. Right. Yeah. It's, it, it's kind of similar to that. I mean, actually, this is probably way more jarring than that even, you know, because it just is almost like stuck in there with like a Band-Aid, like popped in. And, and I... That wasn't explored at all either. It's like, why would MI5 be so worried about that? I mean, that's so long ago. I mean, I guess, I guess someone's going to pay the repercussions of that happening. But I mean, the people who made those decisions to, to let those people 
stay down there after the cavemen are long, long gone. Well, so what I, I think it really, was, uh, what I caught was that they found that little, that. they found that little secret room in the man's apartment that had, which they didn't show really for a lot, but Donald Pleasance finds that, that little secret room behind the bookcase. And then when it opens up, you know that he's got a thing that videotapes into the bedroom. So it's applied that he's making sex tapes and whatnot. So I think they were just trying to hide that even though they still didn't come right out and say, it, I think they were trying to hide the fact that this, this, this man, this political figure that disappeared was into some weird psychosexual shit. That's possible. And then that that's what that they out. were trying so to confusing. That, that would make more sense to me, but that, cause it confused me. It was like, cause I'm, I'm assuming they're talking about the plot at hand, you know, like when they're doing that. So that part always did kind of confuse me, but that would make sense that if they saw that it's, it's, it's part of a kind of a slow point in the movie where I, I, again, it's a bit of a slump. It's a bit, and it's a little, it's a little mishmash, a little jumbled up right there. And it's hard to follow because it's not a very complicated story. And I think they're throwing in little things that are making it complicated and you're not ready for it. You're like, what now? What? And, well, why do I care about his weird sexual deviances? Right. You know, I mean, you know it's like it, it, it didn't need to. I mean, he, I mean, it's pretty much yeah. implied right off the bat yeah. when he, he's yeah. leaving, a, you know, like a little nudie bar. And, right. and then he, you know, accosts the young lady like, oh, you know, I know you're going to be worth it. Here's some money. And then, you know, he, mm-hmm. obviously already a seedy guy. It didn't really need to be there, but I love seeing Christopher Lee. So. Even as jarring as it was, you know, every time I watch it, it's just like, oh, yeah, I fucking forget he yeah. he is in this movie. Right. And right, then, like, right. right after that part, like, pretty much right after that scene, I think there's one more scene. And then we get to the point, oh, fuck, Cannibal Boy's lady is dead. His mm-hmm. little lady friend's dead. And all I can think of every time I see this is like, oh, this is going to go so well and just bode so well for everybody else involved. Right, yeah, right. That's why you need like his only companion is now gone. He's already psycho enraged, and it's just like, ah, oh, well, this is not going to bode well. And then our yeah, yeah that's where he kind of loses it. He loses he he kind of he loses it and kind of goes full on ghoul, full on cannibal at that point. Right, and then, and then not too long after that replacement, yeah. The heroes, if you can call them that, are the the main characters of our story because I can't call them heroes. Neither one of them. I mean. Mm. Patricia is, is the actress who played her was really great. Uh, Sharon Gurney, but she's good. She's, you know, the bleeding heart of the movie. She wants to help people. She's the definitely the yin to uh, the Alex characters. Yang, she, she right. he's just a complete asshole. Doesn't right. care about anybody. Honestly, doesn't even care about her. And she's, you know, very much the good person of, you know, the one sole kind of good person of the movie. And then, of course, they get separated in the most stupid of, of stupid ways. Right. Yeah. In, in the subway. Yeah. Oh, I forgot my books. I'm going to run back into the into the, uh, you know, the, the subway and retrieve your books and get separated in the very place where murders have been happening. Right. And within yeah, like know. like five to ten seconds as she's practically still waving to him. Boom. Cannibal boy shows up. Yeah. Takes her that captive in that, you know, pretty much. They would have done, done like, a, like a chud thing where he would have found a way to get up to her apartment through the. Now, that would have been a trick for a guy that that's would've... been down into, to figure out exactly where to go and who to get. It's stuff. Uh, I know that. But it's like it would have been cooler if something more clever than that had transpired. But then again, I guess in, this movie was I guess not in 71, exactly... 72, they weren't. Well, there yet. it's a quick movie, too. 
I mean, it's a very quickly made movie, you know, so yeah, there's some things you have to forgive in these old flicks. You know, I mean, I just, like I said, I talked yeah, earlier about watching big bug movies and stuff. You had to forgive a lot and enjoy the entertainment of it all. Right, but that right. Was, that was maddeningly stupid for her to do that. Yeah, you're right. I mean. But then you get I, the next yeah. couple scenes where he almost gets killed with a broom. And that's all yeah. like it, the guy is intimidating and he's crazy, but he he's still just very much a sick man. that yeah. was able to get taken out by getting hit in the head a couple times with a broom. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's odd. It's uh, and then, you know that, that that's the thing about this movie too is that part of the darkness of it it's it's, it's creepy. It's weird. It is weird. I mean, the whole movie is kind of weird. I mean, like when you think about the guy getting hit in the head with a broom and all this, that's kind of weird in a way. You know, I mean, the whole thing really. Um, I it doesn't weird. really go in the direction of a typical film. It's very no. oddly paced and has a very odd motivation to it. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, it does. But I, mean, I still think that the creepiness is this whole idea of the whole thing. And I think that that was the descent to me was so creepy because of the idea of the people that were stuck down there that had basically evolved into something else. And then to know those women were down there. And what do you think? They're going to get out? And you, you spend the whole movie thinking that they're going to get... Why would they be able to get out if these other creatures and people have been down there for generations and never could find a way. Why would you think they would find a way? And I right. think that yeah, and, that's... And it's the part of what bothered me about this film is what I said before was, well, if he could get out, why didn't he just, how long was he able to get out? That was a question that I didn't see answered either, but I missed the other one that you just brought up. So maybe I missed it, but that was something that was burning in me. It was like, how long has he been able to get out? They talked a bit about, you know, a couple other disappearances, but I'm sure if this was an ongoing thing and disappearances have been hit, happening in the area since 1892, they would have noticed that. So, I mean, even though they don't the explore it, I think he just, yeah, exactly. But I think he, he just, you know, like in terms of time had just started venturing out or yeah. just, and I don't clawed, clawed his way I, out or dug his way out. Right, and I feel that way too, but I, I don't know how that happened. I don't understand yeah. how that happened. So yeah, exactly. I want to know like what happened. Thing. Yeah, that's the one glaring thing to me that I think the movie is a problem with. It's did like, something else collapse, or did he finally like just learn how to use that shovel and dig? Yeah, and, and was he able to get out and get supplies for a long time? And if so, why was he choosing to still be a ghoul down there? Yeah, and so that if his woman parts, was really so ill and so anything, why wouldn't he take her to somewhere where maybe she could get better? But it's again, always missing a moment where he realizes that she's a goner, and he does something that no one's ever been able to do before. He does dig his way out, and it's missing that moment to show you what's happening. And I think that 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 is probably the major flaw to me. Of the movie still is that is this where where is that moment because there's a lot yeah we are missing that moment yes we're we're totally missing that that moment yes and so you see you can you can fill in the blanks when they have the long tracking shot we're talking about all the corpses and stuff like that you can you can fill in those blanks as people lived and died in certain different ways and things like that and some of them are more fresh than others but when was the epiphany when could they get out when how do they have all those candles still? Right. And where and, were they getting the fuel to burn, you know, oil lanterns? And, and they were alluding to that stuff. 
but they never really answered it. And that kind of stuff, Bob, because I yep. found that fascinating. I mean, that kind of stuff to me is fascinating. That was, yeah, that was the part I wanted to learn more about. I wanted right, to learn more right. about, like, how did they survive? What was life like down there for them other than the glimpses we saw? And, right. you know, like, what, what was that moment of, like, did the, you know, that like you said, they allude to it that in the desperation of trying to save his lady love, he starts hunting for other kind of game, which ends up being people, but they never, I don't know. It's just well, never quite explored. Right, it could be just a flaw of the film, too, where we didn't catch it. I mean, and that, that to me, I think they should emphasize a few things more. So if they are answering these questions we have, I didn't see it and you didn't see it. Right. Doesn't mean it wasn't there. You, yeah, it might it have been there, we might have just missed heads. it. Yeah, and we might have missed it. And, it. and to me, that that is a flaw. And maybe, you know, to me, and I, I hate saying this to another, an independent filmmaker especially, but maybe that's the reason there's executives <laughs> and they have screenings of films. Before they release them. And I always get a little irritable about that when people say, they touched my film. It's like, well, maybe the question wasn't answered, pal. Maybe I don't know the story like you know it, and you didn't explain it good enough. And I think that, that maybe there's the couple of questions we have, it might have been missing a test screening. It might have missed right. a, it might be missing a guy in a suit with a big cigar telling you to cut something. I don't know that. Every once in a while, as 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 much as uh, any indie director or writer will will tell you, they hate hearing somebody say, "Well, what you ought to do." Mm. But every once in a while, you, you need to listen to that. What you ought to do? Because <laughs> they know what they're talking about. They, Didn't they say, say that you have to do it. No, you have right. to do it. You should at least right. listen. Right, right, and and I think there is a bit of a. It's not very. It's not in in our world, in the horror world or the film or whatever. It's not very PC to say those things. To say, like, well, maybe maybe you need an executive to tell you that. I mean, but I do sometimes think that you sometimes do. you do. And I mean, I do think that there's moments where that relationship is sour and it doesn't work. But it's, I think it works more than it doesn't. I really do. If, if not, there would be more directors yeah. saying, watch my director's cut. But most of the time when you get a director's cut of a film, the director, if you really pay attention, the director usually says, well, the theatrical one is the one. Well, they, I think they realized that it was leaner and meaner. You know, right. if I release a record that I've done with a band or done with another collaborator, there's things on there that I wanted really bad that aren't there. And maybe that other person who wouldn't let me have those is right. Maybe they're <laughs> right, but they're not right to me. They're just right to everyone else on the planet, which is what matters. It's what really matters. It's the people that are consuming it. Not the people. Well, you made a star a Star Trek reference earlier with the Wrath of Khan, but you know it goes to that maybe the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. because I think a lot of people, uh, including myself, get attached to a film, even just as watching it as a fan, and they feel like it's theirs. You know, you you watch a movie, and it could be this movie, it could be Halloween, it could be you know They Live, it could be whatever, and you'd be like, that's my movie. I understand what it's all about. But there's somebody else out there who also understands what it's all about and might have a completely different take on that. It's something right. that you maybe never thought of. And I think in a way that's what makes movies interesting. I, I, at least that, that's what makes them still interesting to me. Yeah. Is the fact that, you know, everybody likes something different. And if, right. we, di- if we didn't, it sure would be fucking boring. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that... I think that um, well, I think it's part of what we're losing in films is is the um, the old Val Luton thing. We're we're being asked to fill in the blanks less and less and less. 
in our minds and our imaginations while we're watching the movie. So we're not becoming a participant anymore. We're just becoming an observer. And uh, I think I, yeah, enjoyed, exactly. I enjoyed being a participant. I, I kind of like every once in a while just being able to figure out stuff for myself. You know, I wanted to be able to determine what was in you know, the briefcase they gave to Marcellus Wallace. I don't need to be mm-hmm. told. I want right. to figure out what was in the Ark of the Covenant. I don't necessarily need to be, you know, told, but mm-hmm. I can figure that out on my own. Right. And, you know, and, well, and everybody, I love hearing every, you know, little things like that, little, you know, that are left open to the interpretation, especially in like uh, the instances of movies like Hitchcock, where it's mm-hmm. left open to interpretation. I love to hear what other people have thought because, you know, maybe they got it, you know, and maybe I'm the one that's been fucked up all this time. <laughs> well, and, you know, one of the most frightening scenes in cinema history is one that's not is not very well known is in the movie The Leopard Man, which was produced by Val Luton. And there's a very famous scene where there's a girl and she simply is going. Her mother wants her to go get some bread or something at the store. And and she doesn't want to go because there's a killer afoot. And the mom is just like, oh, just go out there, go go get your bread and stuff like that, and stop 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 giving me the, these problems, these hassles and stuff. So she makes her go get the bread, and as she's coming back from the bread, there is clearly something after her, like a leopard or something like that. Well, I take it back. Mm-hmm. She doesn't she doesn't make it there. She starts going to get it. It starts being menaced. Runs back to the door and beats on the door and tells her mom to let her in. Her mom won't let her in because she hasn't gotten the bread. The beating stops with this little <coughs> in the voice. And there's a, trick, there's, a, there's a trickle of blood that comes from underneath the door. And if you see the scene, what you put in your head, what happened to that girl on the other side of the door, is way more than any Tom Savini or CG artist could do. And it's frightening. It's terrifying. And to know that, that woman could have just let her daughter in, but just being a stubborn mother trying to teach her kid to go to go face her fears, she won't let her in. You're participating because I'm not showing you anything. You're hearing things. You're seeing shadows and things like that, which was Val Luton's calling card. But it's just a moment where you're like, this what year did is that come out? Was. Leopard Man, I believe, was like 44, maybe or something like that. And I would awesome. highly recommend seeking it out. All of the Val Luton films, Cat Cat People, Curse of the Cat People, uh, Isle of the Dead, The Body Snatcher, all those 40s RKO Val Luton films are some of the most terrifying things I've ever seen. But The Seventh Victim, I Walk With, with a, a Zombie, that's another Val Luton movie. So he didn't get the credit for a lot of stuff. RKO, RKO hired him to be the head of their B-movie horror department. So they gave they gave him a bunch of titles. That's what they did. They gave him titles. And then he made the film. They just gave him titles, produced, no scripts, yes. just titles. He produced huh? the film. They gave him, So they gave him Cat People. So instead of making a movie about Cat People, he made the classic film Cat People. And I Walked with a Zombie. Instead of making a, you know, a whatever, a white zombie ripoff, he made I Walked with a Zombie. Right. Leopard Man. Like a teenage a, werewolf clone. Yeah. Well, and, and, and like I Walked uh, Leopard Man, instead of making a werewolf type movie or leopard transform, he made an intriguing mystery. You know, is it a Leopard Man or is it a. You just, it, it's very vague. You know, you don't know. You add these things in your mind. You participate with that film. 
Invils, they don't allow you to do that. They want to show you everything, all the bells and whistles, and prove to you they can throw everything at you on the screen. But I think right. well, me movies like they got they got to show about, you they got to show you uh, you know that they got everything, including the kitchen right. sink. And and movies like Raw Meat up until like the early '80s with like Bravo Teen and things like that. I think that what you have is a you have a a bridge, a bridge to that, where they're showing you as much as they can. But they can only show you so much because right. of because of physical world problems and issues, and we we don't have those problems anymore. And so I feel like they're trying to put the realism into the script and the dialogue, which is boring as shit to me, because they're throwing everything at the bells and whistles now, not the story. And in, in reality, yeah, no, it's like a, I'm not interested history. in. I'm just not interested in anything that the characters have to say. Anymore. Well, no, because you're for the most part, just saying for the most part, because yeah. there are some out there, but damn. Right. If you were interested in the story, you would be interested more in the characters and what they were saying. But since the characters aren't saying anything interesting, what do you give a care about them? And that's what's happening now. You know, like with 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 like raw meat, um, the story is interesting. That's why we're asking questions about things that weren't answered. I can't remember the arrival. I can't remember. I, I don't remember Shape of Water except for Michael Shannon <laughs> washed his hands before he peed. Best scene in the whole movie. That's all, oh, I don't geez. even see it, but I'm just saying. No, <laughs> no I haven't yet. Yeah, I imagine I will eventually. Well, probably, but I'm just saying it's more of a it's more of a fish love story. A guy, it's about a woman who falls in love with a fish man. There's been a lot of fish sex movies over the last few years, and I'm I'm a little disturbed by it. There was another yeah, it's a little bit much of, on the the fish sex thing. Yeah, I don't, I don't get that. Never understood that as a subgenre. Nope, I don't either. And I'm I'm all good with inner inner you know gender relations. Whatever you want to do is fine. I don't but, care. But, but we're talking fish sex, people. Yeah, we're talking fish <laughs> species. I'm a little. I'm gonna go biblical. On species. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm just gonna about. say that shit just might not be right. It might. Right. Right. But so anyway, speaking of not right. Uh, yeah. We are yeah. we are not right for some of the things we've been discussing. You want to give our final. Uh, Final review of the, the movie and then get out of here. I'm sure we both yeah. got things to, to be doing. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. You're our guest, so you, by all means, go first. And okay. Rate it all on right, a scale yeah. from 1 to 10 for us. Uh, I, I give this movie a 7.5. I think it holds up. I think that there are things in it that are sociopolitical that are kind of passe today, which is fine because they don't feel very preachy. Uh, so I'm okay about that. But it also drags the film today a little bit but then you have superman himself donald pleasance who just brings it back up a notch and makes up for the age of the film's shortcomings i think and some of the stuff that seems creaky and i think that the the man the ghoul is great is great he looks like the grim reaper like he looks like george eastman or something like that he looks he's he's creepy yeah the he whole does, idea does is creepy and that creepy idea sticks with you and when you see this movie you don't forget it and that that's the biggest compliment i, I can give to it so i i give it a 7.5 if i would have seen it back then i'd probably give it a nine back then it's good for for being groundbreaking and being incredibly um interesting and different but today just being honest yeah i give it about 7.5 still a great movie holds up good i think yeah I have to agree with pretty much everything you said. 
I'm coming in about the same uh, rating. I'm going to give it an even seven out of ten. Which I mean, it's uh, it's got gore, it's got effects, it's got atmosphere. Points for Christopher Lee cameo and Donald Pleasance is just absolutely amazing, mm-hmm. as always. Yeah, I, I take some points away from the the lead, Dave Ladd. He's not very he's not very good. He's very wooden, very stale, bland. Well, and he got thrown not- into that too. Remember that. Because he was—he's Alan Ladd's little brother, and he happened. Oh, that's to, right! I forgot. All he about. happened just to be there, and he was free or cheap, so they used him. And so he was, although he became a producer himself, he said that was the coldest job he'd ever done. He had no idea what he was doing. He was reading lines, basically. You know, so oh, got give maybe him that's a maybe that's for that. why I yeah. forgot all about that. Yeah. But the character also is this very unlikable. But, oh, yeah. You know, so yeah. when you're taking our lead, it should be a, kind of a heroic type. It just. That just wasn't, but yeah, I mean, it's got atmosphere, but from a technical standpoint, it's a notch above some of the rest, some of the dolly shots and those intricate tracking shots where they go one thing to the next, because there's several of those. There's some very, very long sequences that go on without edits. It's just Mm -hmm. beautifully directed. The cinematographer deserves some accolades, you know, the director, um, it's just, you know, it, I give it about, like I said, again, a solid seven, you know, I guess. I could have or would have given it a higher rating back in the day mm-hmm. as well. I probably would have came in at an 8.5 or a 9 myself. But, you know, after watching it off and on for 20 years, it still deserves an, a, a solid 7. It's a very decent thriller. It's way better. Uh, no no be. matter what uh, what you want to call it, uh, whether it's uh, you want to call it uh, raw meat or you want to call it Deathline, you know. Either way, very solid and always worth a revisit. Right. It's way better than it should be. That's always a good compliment. It's way better than it ought to be. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for joining us this evening, or actually uh, this afternoon as it is, because it's really, <laughs> it's only like right. about one, one o'clock in the afternoon. It's evening somewhere. Yeah. It's right. four o'clock somewhere. Where is your mind? <laughs> yeah. I don't know where my mind's at. But again, uh, thanks for uh, joining us, Timo. And uh, where can people uh, find you and find your uh, podcast? The Timo and Harley Show.com. Um, or on Facebook, we uh, have our show released on Podbean and iTunes and Stitcher and shoot, we're even on YouTube. Um, but it's the Tim Owen Harley show. There's a little hyphen between Tim and a capital O. But I do believe the website is just spelled out T I M O and Harley uh, show. So the, the Tim O, the Tim O and Harley show.com. So with no characters, just the Tim and Harley show. <laughs> so just Timo, uh, just yeah. Harley. The TimoandHarleyShow.com is the best way to best way to find us. And then there's links to our Facebook and Twitter and all that nonsense too. So but yeah, you can find us. So we've got a weekly show ourselves. So and, right on. Uh, and uh, yeah. Movie's very similar to this, by the way. I think we did review this a long time ago, actually. A long time ago, I think we did. Oh nice. So yeah, <laughs> this is a very Right in our wheelhouse. This and then back right toward that silent era we were talking about. So we do a lot of older. Right on, right on. Well, I've been listening to your stuff for, for years now, and I know you're just recorded uh, episode 500 or five, yes, 501. Yeah. It's quite yeah. a milestone. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's a lot of talking. There's <laughs> <laughs> a, a lot of sound waves of you over the years. Uh, oh, yes, absolutely. But it's been fun. It's been good time. And good luck on yours, too. They're, they're fun. They're a lot of work. Yeah. more work than you think they're going to be, but but they are they're. Uh, oh yeah, it's a lot more work now than when I used to do it on Blog Talk Radio, and that mm. <laughs> I will never yeah. do, go that route again. 
But, it's, you know, now that I have more free time on my hands, I figured, what in the hell? Why not? Right, exactly. Exactly. So enjoy it. So, well, thank, thank you once again. This has been Cinema Degeneration. I am your host, Cameron Scott, and this has been my co-host, Timbo Sabin. We'll bid you a fond farewell, and stay safe out there. Toodles. I might have known you'd turn up. Just about time, I'd say. The chief superintendent doesn't approve of uh, extramurals in the Russians. How does the minister feel about it? All this is unfortunate. Most unfortunate. You're a master of the understatement. And you are a master of the overstatement. Now I think it's time you were on your way, Inspector. This is my manor. And the villains in it are mine. Well, you're welcome to them, old thing. So why don't you just run along and arrest a few? Missing persons are my concern, too. Yes. Missing uh, dentists, missing greengrocers. But this particular missing person, as far as you're concerned, Inspector, is no longer missing. I don't see him around anywhere. See you. What a droll fellow you are. Manfred case is closed. It was never opened. Clear. If someone is reported missing in my manner, that's my business. Your dainty little footsteps are echoing in places where one is well advised to tread lightly. Are you threatening me? You're very perceptive.